This podcast series is brought to you by Shallow Lake Community Church. So I've been working pretty hard lately, and uh, 12 and 13 hour days are becoming normal, which is horrific. And, uh, and for some reason, I'm preaching every single week. I don't even remember Liz doing every other week. So yesterday, I get up and uh, I go and do a few errands, visit a few people, look at some stuff, and then I'm thinking, right, now I'm going to prepare. And uh, what I do is I read on the morning or I read all the way through the week and listen to books. And then I kind of go into like a, I call it a trance, but it's a bit like I meditate and I put all these jigsaw puzzles of information together and I say, Lord, please kind of make a picture. And that's what I'll preach on, which is always quite, it's always makes me nervous, but I'm getting better and better at it. And literally, I always have something to say. But yesterday, nothing was happening. So I'm thinking, I'll go into a deep meditation. Which led to five hours of unconscious sleep. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I definitely want to go fishing today. You know, because like when, when, when my brain's falling apart, I go fishing. Because then my, it's like my brain just melts and I don't think of anything. And uh, yesterday, I think it was around 11 o'clock, I went down to the harbor to have a look uh, and see what people were doing. And people have got, the one guy had got a, what's his name, Ed? You work with, Brad. He's got an engine on a rope, and he drops the engine, and it smashes through the ice, and he pulls it up, and he smashes it, and, and then they stand at the side of the dock. It's like a little motorbike engine or something, and then they fish, which is just, every time I look at it, it's like I'm watching all these guys, and they're fishing. They've got 12-foot rods, but the hole's down here, because that's where they've cracked the hole in the side of the wall, you know, where right up by the end, by the grain elevator. And I'm watching people catching fish, and I'm like, Oh, so I go home. Obviously, I've got to get my message right in my head. Somehow, I fell asleep for over five hours, and then I wake up. So I'm going, do I, do I start getting ready for tomorrow, or do I go fishing? Let's go fishing. So, so, so I drive down, and right by the grain elevator at, at say, 11 o'clock, I'm watching this guy just catching fish after fish, and I'm like, I want to be that person. So anyway, I drive in. And I looked to where this guy was fishing earlier, five, six hours earlier. There's nobody there. So I'm like, I can't believe it. And there's just rows of guys to the left. I'm thinking, but that's the hot spot. They missed it. I pull the truck up. I get my stuff out. So, I gotta, so I'm over here. And, I'm, and I, I look down. And I'm on my knees with the net trying to drag the ice out of the hole that's kind of come over it. And I get my rod out, and then I get my chair out, and then I get my video camera out, because now I have a camera that goes down there to watch the fish now, okay? So, and I've got all this stuff set up, and I'm like, man, man, and I'm watching rods bent. I'm not even focused on people over here. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I've got one egg on a hook, because that's what the guys across the, the, the water earlier have showed me. This is how you catch them. And I'm thinking, this is a lot of like for one egg and I look to the left and I'm watching rods bent and people pulling and I'm thinking what's going on here from when I'd left at 11 o'clock to when I'd come back all the ice had left the harbor <laughs> I am the only person sitting over a little hole trying to put my finger in and there's got to be 30 guys casting out to the lake again and I'm like I look like an idiot. <laughs> I am so focused on getting where I've got to get. And I'm, I'm, so I'm sitting there, 
And I start laughing. And I'm like, I've just done what I've been preaching on for months. Everybody's fishing in the lake, and I've gone ice fishing. This is actually happening. It really happened. This is so prophetic. So I'm thinking, no, I'm going to stay here. Because if I leave now, they'll know I'm an idiot. And all of a sudden, so I, so I think, I, start, I stop with the one egg. And I start jigging. And on the video camera, all of a sudden, this rainbow comes running in, looks at it, and scarpers. And I'm like, okay, I'm moving. <laughs> so I go up to the end. This is about an hour later now. And there's guys, all, and they're just bringing rainbow by rainbow. And in. I'm there for two and a half hours, freezing to death. Zippo. Nothing. I'm the last person now at half past eight. It's gone pitch black. It's like. I was amazed on how easy it is to go back to something because that's what I saw people doing. That's what I thought I was about to do. In my brain, that's what I'd got. So as I woke up, that's what was needed to be done. And even when I saw there was a totally different way of doing it that was producing fish, I was still stubborn enough to stick it out for an hour before I went, okay, let's go over into the big lake and see what happens. What we're going to look at today, can I have somebody, glasses, could I have somebody read uh, from Acts 28 for me? Who's going to be voluntold? Tam, coming up, Tam. You've been on holiday and we don't like you anymore because we're jealous. And we know it was more than a holiday. It's actually quite a lot. It's, it's, it's 11. You can actually just do 11 down to the end of here if you can. Okay. Does that work? Oh, I need a microphone for you. Thanks, Don. Uh, Paul arrives at Rome, Acts 28, starting at verse 11. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse? Syracuse. Syracuse, where we had stayed three days. From there, we sailed across the Regium. A day later, a south wind began blowing, so the following day, we sailed up the coast to Petulai. There, we found some believers who invited us to stay with them seven days, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was permitted to have his own private lodging, though he was guarded by a soldier. Three days after Paul's arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders. He said to them, Brothers, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Roman government, even though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors. The Romans tried me and wanted to release me, for they found no cause for the death sentence. But when the Jewish leaders protested the decision, I felt it necessary to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no desire to press charges against my own people. I asked you to come here today so we could get acquainted 
and so I could tell you that I am bound with this chain because I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, We heard nothing against you. We have had no letters from Judea or reports from anyone who has arrived here, but we want to hear what you believe, for the only thing we know about these Christians is that they are denounced everywhere. So a time was set, and on that day, a large number of people came to Paul's house. He told them about the kingdom of God, and he taught them about Jesus from the scriptures, from the five books of Moses and the books of the prophets. He began lecturing in the morning and went on into the evening. Some believed and some didn't, but after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to our ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, Go and say to my people, You will hear my words, but you will not understand. You will see what I do, but you will not perceive its meaning. For our hearts of the people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they, are closed, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I Thank you, Tam. Clap for Tam. She's so clear, it's like Wilma. If I I read it, you'd all be skipping all over the place. I I have to hear things, and when, when, some, when I hear things, it's like I, I can picture them. When I read them, it's weird. It's like it all gets a little bit muddled and I don't see it. I don't know how you learn or how you see things. This is the end of Acts. I'm not too sure how long we've been going through Acts. It feels like months. Well, it is months, isn't it? It's been quite a while. And what I have loved about it is each different person that's been speaking and preaching on how people take it apart and then deliver it back to us we get different angles of what's going on but ultimately in in finishing up the end of acts it's the same thread all the way through i I can't get over keep hearing this drumbeat of the kingdom is coming you know i explained that weeks or months ago i don't know when it was of like there's a drum beating like a steady bomb uh drum that uh, an army would have or a procession would have and there's this constant sound in the background of the kingdom is coming there's a point in here of something that i that's slightly different in the way that paul approaches things from, from the straight off of, from the shipwreck onwards, when Paul gets off the boat and it says that brothers and sisters in Rome have heard that he's coming and people start to greet him, it says that his spirits were lifted. You start to hear at the end of this story that Paul's tired. Paul's exhausted. He's just spent three months waiting to get on a boat to get to the next spot. You know, when we do something, it takes a second. Tam's in, in, well, she went the long way, but she's 30 hours and she's in Australia with her brother. You know, when we think about the process that went on from the beginning of when Paul started, to, uh, when Luke started to write about what was happening with Paul, it's an immense journey with phenomenal things going on within the story. But what Paul does when he gets here, is that he actually starts to talk to people rather than actually go to the synagogue, rather than actually meet them in their places of worship, he brings them to him to start kind of like, have you heard things about me? 
Have, you know, are, are you okay to listen to what I'm about to say? He's, at the end of this, we're starting to see that Paul's tactics of getting this drumbeat of the kingdom is coming, he does it differently. I can't help it again, is that to explain this, it's like what happened last week when we talked about the cross. And if you weren't here last week, I gave this kind of image of, if you like, from the beginning of Scripture, people have been laying railway tracks. And the information that we see that happens chapter after chapter after book after book, railway tracks are being built of God trying to restore His people in this earth. And I talked about a priesthood, a royal priesthood that Peter talks about that started all the way back uh, with Moses. And last week, I missed it. So this week, I want to clarify something that I missed. So I'm going to jumble around here because I'm trying to not actually say last week's message all over again. I just want to start with the beginning image for people that missed it, that we begin with people on this side of the cross. I want us to imagine now that the railway tracks are going this way. We start in the beginning of Scripture of God gives us authority over this planet. I talked about us having keys. I call them keys to the kingdom. It's called paradise. We're going to hear later on, it's actually called a promised land. The name of it continues all the way through this story. Through what action we take at the beginning of this story, we give the keys, we give the authority of the world away. It moves on that we're cast aside. I constantly have to go back to Canaan and Abel because the nature of these two brothers shows us the division that starts off in creation. It shows us how brother will call brother. It shows us how people will care or not care for people around us. It then goes on turning into a, a, a people, the people of Israel. What I missed last week, now I'm just going to read from 1 Peter 2.9 again. This is the American Standard Version. But you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who have been called out of darkness into a marvelous light. This starts, okay, from Deuteronomy, from Exodus, from Deuteronomy, it's through Isaiah, these verses alone on these three pages are where it's confirmed about our standing as a royal priesthood. Where it officially starts of us being what we should be, the new people, the tribe of Israel, should be these ambassadors of this kingdom that's coming. And what I missed last week, which was really irritating because all week it niggled on me, when Moses comes down with the tablets, with the commandments on it, all of a sudden the priesthood, it's, it's reissued. It, it's like uh, we've got a new license as a people. It's official that what is going to be started from that moment is that real royal priesthood being reinstalled in humankind. And that's why we start to see the law is to make us stand out amongst other people. Not that we're better, but that somehow we are the children of God. That somehow in our actions, in our lifestyle, you should see God through us. I, I talked about last week how constantly on these railway tracks, there's failure, God picking us up. 
There's mistakes that David made, that Solomon made. It just constantly goes on and on of God interceding to bring us to this point here. Last week I explained that the cross is more than Jesus dying for my sins. Liz said to me, she goes, you know, it's a great analogy of you know, us giving the keys away and the, the death of Jesus on this cross is Jesus actually taking back these keys that it talks about in Revelation. And as I explained last week, I can't really explain to you what happened in those three days. I don't know if anybody really can. But what we do know is that the power and the authority that we gave away in the beginning is restored right here. When we look through this entire story from the Bible, but if we start from, say we're going to start from Luke's perspective of Acts, we have Paul, it's summarizing Acts, that knows this story from there to here, inside and out. As most people would look at him, he's the expert. So if, if we're going to ring anybody in the world at that time to go, how do, can you just explain this? He's the guy that explains it. He was Google before Google existed when it came to Scripture. And everything within his testimony tells everybody, I've been schooled in this. I've been trained in this. I'm an expert in this. He's basically saying, listen to what's going on. We know about Paul being met by Jesus, being blinded. The words, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hurting my people? We have Paul that's all of a sudden... He's met Jesus. He's had this life-changing experience where all of a sudden he sees that the entire story from over there to here through Christ, the Messiah has come back. Not in the way that people expected. They expected a soldier. They expected a David character to come back to bring this kingdom into fruition. Jesus brings it through his sacrifice, through his love. Luke, and this is where you can't ice fish, and this is where it becomes incredible to me because I don't think I've seen it, and I don't know how many times I've read Acts or how many times I've listened to Acts, but I'm going through N.T. Wright's biography on Paul, and it really, really helped to kind of feel this person. You know, when you, 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 if you kind of know somebody and then somebody tells you a story about them, you kind of you get it better. You kind of understand it at a greater level. I would recommend N.T. Wright's book just called Paul, and it's a biography of Paul, uh, to, to make some of the sense of this. The image, and I've got I've to go to the wide picture. There's an image of Paul being met by Jesus. That could be you. If you've said that I am actually a follower of Jesus, that's us. Maybe we weren't knocked down to our knees, and blinded through the power of the Holy Spirit, through, through the presence of God, whatever that was that happened, we have actually started our journey beyond this cross. We've actually said we're going to lay railway tracks because that's what Paul's doing. Paul's laying more tracks, more information, more news, more good news about this kingdom, and he's using the theology with the Jews of the day who were given the mandate from Moses through the Ten Commandments, be a holy people, be a royal priesthood, light will come in places that are full of darkness. 
What Luke spreads out for us in this story is a story of Paul standing before every government official that existed in his area that had power to kill him. We see an image of the church that existed wanting him dead when the authorities and the superpowers of the day are saying, we've got nothing, you've got no real evidence to be killing him, and he gets passed on and he gets passed on. We've got people trying to kill him. We've got shipwrecks. We've got, we've got snakes that Wayne talked about from the viper that bites him. And I love the bit where they all stand around expecting him to bloat up. It's just, is that not funny to you? It's like, oh, let's see if he turns into a balloon. Oh, that sucked. He didn't. I, I can't help but find. But at the beginning of this where the Christians meet him at the free taverns. How have I been reading that for 20 years and not seen the free taverns? And Paul the Apostles with all the pirates going, ah, we're in the free taverns. No, okay. But you know, I don't know. I see these things and they make me laugh. Sorry, Pat. Sorry, ladies. I can see they're all like, just get on with it. Just get on with it. Luke is showing us a story. And he's pinpointing things layer after layer of what it takes to usher in this kingdom. What it's actually going to look like to lay down new tracks for you and me. Paul laid down tracks for you and me. But we, just as Paul started a journey, were now accountable. At the end of what Wayne was talking on two or three weeks ago, he talks about, so Paul, has, they've had a shipwreck. Everybody's survived. Miraculous again. You know, in the midst of this story, if you're actually reading this, supposedly this, Luke is writing this 20 years after the fact. So what we're reading here, that's scripturally they're saying that. N.T. Wright would say probably four years earlier. How do you know this stuff? I don't know. What hit me in the midst of this, there's, there's, there's people falling out of windows because my brain had to take the entire story of Acts and go, what are we looking at? You've got people falling out of windows that are dead. Paul comes along and all of a sudden they're alive again. We've got Paul that has this incredible shipwreck where everybody survives, which should not have happened. Logistically, somebody should have perished, but they don't. We have the, the, I can't even say his name, belonging to Pubulus or Pubulus. Anyway, it's pub and it's got taverns after, I like it. He's the chief official on the island. He's welcomed everybody. And, uh, but his father has fever and dysentery. Has anybody ever seen anybody with fever and dysentery? Have you not seen it? I've, I've probably taken, I don't know, two or three hundred people into India in teams now. And there was this one lady, and her name's Joe Pullen. If you go on Facebook, you'll see her and her husband, they're hippies, okay? Every, he's like got the long hair, the leather jacket, he's, he's the rock star. She's the flower power girl, and uh, their kids had a, a lot to do with us. One actually went off to Africa with her two-year-old son and just served in a mud hut for four years as a nurse. She just got her RPN or whatever it is and just went off there, PSW. So anyway, we used to have these meetings. How did I get onto this? Anyway, dysentery. So, we used to have these meetings in this little community center. By the way, an entire community center, somebody gave me the deeds and the key for it. Have I ever told you that? 
just because we were the only people that were bringing light into a community, they gave us the entire building, lock, stock, and barrel, for zero. So we're having these, these, these movements of the Holy Spirit where literally we're having meetings to see people's lives transformed from sickness, from lack of understanding, from just wanting to grow in God. And this woman, all you would say was Jesus, she would hit the floor like a bag of potatoes, just gone, and literally she was jelly. I don't think she actually had a hard bone in her body because it was my job every single week to pick her up, shove her in the car. Now remember, these are British cars, so the door's like this big. So you have to cram them in, you know, you've got the plumbing brass straps and knickers sticking to everything, and if you don't look, just shove it in. Then I would come to the front door, and I'd knock on the front door with this body. Honestly, I must have done it 20 times. Her unsaved hippie rock star husband would open the door and go, Oh! And I'd be like, it's the Holy Spirit. And I'd take her in, and I'd dump her on the couch, and I would leave. <laughs> her husband became a Christian at the end of it. They're still fully operating in the church. But she was the one. She was the one at just bang. And it'd be, we didn't know at the time, but it was a form of healing of things that nobody understood. And God was doing something in her. And when I come to this passage here, I remember her. I remember her in the southern parts of India where we would go as a bus. We'd have this bus that we've rented and we would go into these tribal villages and uh, it'd be set up for us to do meetings on the evenings and to pray for people in the day. She got started to get sick immediately. We're now one week into this um, uh, mission trip and we're in the middle of nowhere and she's white. I mean, she's not eaten for four days. She's got dysentery, which means that it doesn't matter what you put in her, it's coming out twice as much as she eats. She's sick. People are trying to carry her to the woods to go to the toilet. There's this little old toilet. I, 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 it's it tattooed in my brain. It's a, it's, a, it's a service station in India, which means it's a concrete wall, and on the back of it, there's two holes, and that's where everybody does their business. There are no tiles left to look at. It's been pebble-dashed, okay? The smell from 60 yards had me heaving. We're not even close to it. She, she's been carried, and she starts to vomit the bit of water that she has, People are holding her up. Between the fever, I'm thinking, we could lose her. We're, we're two days drive back to a city. I'm thinking, we could actually lose her. She's gone so weak, so fast. I tell you this. Pray. Did we pray? Ladies sit next to her all night, mopping her brow with a, with a damp cloth. Imagine. Seeing somebody, because dysentery is bad. I've only had it slightly once, and trust me, you, you feel like you're dying. Imagine somebody walking in and saying, in the name of Jesus, be healed, and bam, total transformation. That fever's gone. That dysentery's gone. That person that you thought was about to die, and remember, this is not us being ill. This is thousands of years ago where you got the slightest little thing you died they didn't have the medication they didn't have the antibiotics they didn't have the right and you gotta remember it's still hot culture down in this place in malta we see 
that drum being beat all the way through this story to the very end. In the midst of all the chaos, people are healed and Paul goes out again showing us what does it look like to lay down tracks to usher in the kingdom of God. People are being healed. Incredible circumstances are, are, are against him. The one thing that constantly comes back in the one things that are a hundred things in this one that constantly have me stopped, something beautiful happens at the end of, from uh, 28, 23. So a time was set and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's house. He told them about the kingdom of God and taught them about Jesus from the scriptures. Remember? So everything leading back to there on how Jesus is coming. From the five books of Moses and the books of the prophets, he began lecturing in the morning and went on to the evening. So some believed and some didn't. But after they'd argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. And this is where Paul says, you know, go and say to my people, you will hear my words, but you will not understand. For years we've been saying here, let, let us as people have ears to hear. Let us have eyes to see what's going on. Something within the framework here has changed in the setting on how Paul discusses the kingdom of God with people who in all the rest of Acts have come against him violently. Okay, The picture we have here now is a real Jewish platform of how people learn and discuss things. So I say to Wayne, this is black. Wayne says back to me, no, this is red. Okay, how do you start a conversation when I'm saying, this, this, this thing I'm holding is black? Wayne says, no, this thing is red. Well, Wayne goes, well, I know it's red because of this. I start to talk about, I know it's black because of this. When Jew, the Jewish culture of people learning was, somebody would say something, Somebody reflects back on their version of how they've heard it or they've been taught it. And instead of going, I'm right, you're wrong, there's this kind of scriptural, okay, or Torah message that's gone backwards and forwards as they wrestle it out, go, well, where do you get that scripture from? Well, I get it from this part of Moses. When we talk about translation, what's happening here is that they're saying, well, I don't get this. And Paul comes back with something there's a constant referring backwards and forwards with Scripture at a point here where some go, okay, I believe you. And some say, no, I don't see. I don't see what you're seeing. Every time Paul has done this before, he may have had one or two people, it says, convert. When it happened in the beginning of the story, they're actually trying to stone him and kill him out of the temple. Okay, all the other issues, you'll start to see the way Jewish people figure things out and discuss things, it happens in such a way where they're still brothers, they're still discussing until they get to a point where they go, okay, you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. It's a phenomenal testimony because I think back to our own journey as a church of things that we talk about. You know, I think about people kind of eight gosh 10 years ago when we talk about the cross and we and and everybody's worried about how they will go to heaven and and and, and talking about the rapture 
And I'm like, I, I, where are you getting it? So it's like, oh, we don't like what you're preaching, so they leave. So they just toddle off. And the thing is, Liz came up with this picture that I, was, I started on a while ago. She goes, people have actually got this far on the journey, and they're like this. And they're still there. They're just, they haven't left the cross. Jesus died for my sins. Great. Great. I'm going to stay here. It's very comfortable. And in the midst of it, it's just I'm waiting now to go to this place called heaven, which I explained last week, doesn't exist in the imagination of most people in the way that it's actually this world restored. The scripture clearly shows it. There is no other place that's like a fantasy world where everything's just perfect. It's this world restored. There's work involved in laying more tracks to see it restored. And I think back to this black and whiteness. Has anybody been watching all the documentaries that are on the TV right now over Martin Luther? Because it was 50, it was this, this, this week was 50 years. Was, was that a yes? Okay, one person, thankfully. It's 50 years since he was killed. And you watch these documentaries. You watch the story of his life, of a black Baptist preacher basically saying at this junction, how you treat us is wrong. How you see us is wrong. From other Christians, from other churches, basically you're not good enough. You can't ride on the bus with us. You can't use this toilet. You can't go into this school. The images and the documentary uh, videos of their you know, non-violent marches, I, guess I was in tears. When I actually watch people throwing bricks, cursing, the anger, the violence within them from, from from other white-going church people, these are. These are other people that say, we know the Bible, you've got it wrong. But Martin Luther sees something in this. When he preaches, when he shares to people about our day will come, there is an incredible resemblance of the sound that's going on, of laying these railway tracks as the Gentiles, as non-Jews are brought in to this story. When you watch it, I can't help but think about so many other groups that we persecute. Because rather than actually take, what's your theory? What's your understanding? Who taught you this biblically? Where do you get your information from? Where's your foundation coming from? We've just gone through a period of time of trying to make people aware of things scripturally as well as physically and emotionally uh, with the LGBTQ community about what in the way that we treat and the things that we say and the way that we respond, the damage that we've done. And people still just go, no, you're wrong, and they leave. And they've left us, and we know that. And I think, where did this come from, this I'm right, you're wrong? Do you know where it comes from? I'm going to take us all the way back over here to Cain and Abel, where the keys have been given away, and I just kill you. That's how I deal with it, through violence. That's how we deal with, from being one side of the tracks of the kingdom and the other side of being the tracks 
of the kingdom. Acts and the way Luke brings us to this stage is incredible hardships. For the people of the time reading this, it's like, look at this king. You can't slow it down. It's like a snowball coming down a mountain that's growing and progressing. And people that have seen and encountered Jesus are the people bringing this good news to other people. When you get to the end of this, you feel humbled. But you also see that there's an incredible tension in what it means to bring good news. When he gets to the end of, uh, into 17 here, and Paul actually says to the, to, the, to the Jews that are there, he says, have you heard the stories about me? Could you imagine? You're, you're, you're this theologian, this incredible guy, but have you heard what they're saying about me? And they're like, no, we haven't heard anything. And you're like, you know, there are so many rumors about me in this town. Some of them are excellent. They're not true, but I think, yeah. You know, you, you, you walk into a ministerial and you think, what do they think? What, what, do they, what, what do they actually believe about me? You know, when I think I told you about a, a clergyman I met at the hospital when I was visiting somebody, and he goes, oh, I've heard about you. It was the way he did it. Oh, I've heard about you. Did I got to say, part of me is indestructible and part of me crumbles inside because I think we're just trying to be salt and light. We're supposed to be brothers and sisters. We're supposed to be the same, same group of people building the same railway tracks. But there's this, this part of, I can't be associated with something just because it does it slightly different than me or it speaks slightly different than me or it, it does its music differently than me, it does its mission trips differently than me. There's a beautiful sense through what's going on here of Paul trying to bring things together. Because you have to remember at this point, because they talk about, we haven't heard about you, Paul, but we have heard about these Christians. You've got to put your mindset into what's gone on there. Paul is a Jew. Jesus is a Jew. They are all believers in Yahweh. They are all followers of Yahweh. Jesus comes along, dies on a cross. All of a sudden, I believe in Jesus. You're no longer a Jew. Do you, do you hear the language that's going on? You're no longer a part of our religion. That's a whole nother religion now. Imagine being Paul, the master of all this information, and they go, well, you're one of those Christians now, one of those followers of Jesus, which, which means you've removed yourself from the Torah, you've removed yourself from everything that we believe. Does that not blow you? Could you imagine being Paul, kind of going, I, I, did I put a new outfit on? Did I put a Christian outfit on? Did I put a big cross around my neck? I'm the same person. Like I told you last week, if you, I've watched video after video of Jews and rabbis going, Paul is a defector from our religion. He's a defector. Jesus just went off. He's basically a cult leader. Imagine the frustration that Paul is like, it's, no, you don't get it. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we've been taught, but it's now going on and they won't listen. It's heartbreaking. It finishes 
with Paul saying there will be people that listen and people that don't listen. It has been said from, from Isaiah, this is how it will always be. Some get it, some hear it, and then go, I just don't care. I'm going to stick to what I'm comfortable with. Do you know what they do? They race to the dock because that's where they saw somebody catching fish and they're over the little hole and all of a sudden they look to the left and there's 40 plus guys catching fish and it's like... Do you see the picture? There's a whole world out there with something going on. Paul's declaring it and he says, look, these people have got it. But you're actually going to go back here and say, no, I'm not going that far. Within that, I can go, okay, you don't believe that black people should have the same rights. Okay, that's, that's your belief. If that's where you're going to stay, you stay there. If you're going to say, I do not believe a woman should be a leader. I do not believe a woman should even be able to talk in church. And if she does, she needs to pass it through me before she tells anybody. If you believe that, then believe that. But don't put that on other people. There's a part here in the history of what's going on in this story of people saying, you're wrong. You've got to conform to what we say is right. What we believe the law is saying. It goes on and on until it starts to soften up. I totally disagree that LGBTQ can be anything in church. I don't believe they can be married. I don't believe they should be doing this. I believe it's sin. If you believe that, you keep that to yourself. Okay? If that's your belief, I can go with it. I can see because, you know, there's a history of people believing things that other people believed were wrong. There's people like Paul and preacher after preacher and Martin Luther saying, something's wrong. Look at this. They will say now that Obama was only president because of the actions of Martin Luther King. The history of people standing in and being killed. They're all killed, okay, to fight for somebody else's rights. As a church, what do we learn from this? What we learn is that Luke doesn't finish the story. Purposely, Luke doesn't tell us what goes on in Rome. He leads us all the way up and the drums getting louder and louder and the kingdom is coming in incredible ways. Luke has just prepared us for the next stage of what's going to happen. He doesn't finish the story. You've got to read Acts as a book with no ending. The ending is look at the progression. Look at the depth. Look at what God's doing. Look at the movement and the way that it's starting to grow and move forward. But I would say today, look at the people that say that they're Jews and that other people have left the faith. What does it mean to us as a church? What does it mean to how we embrace people of other cultures? What, how does it work in us on how we embrace people from the LGBT community. What is our stance? What, is, what does our heart say about how we open a door and say, I'm not going to be like Cain and Abel. Just because I don't see it doesn't mean I get to kill them. And you may not say, well, we don't hurt them. Everything that's gone on between from culture, from slavery to black people to women to LGBT, it's just this progression that's constantly going on and we stick ourselves in the ground, we go fishing in the hole because it's safe. 
whatever we're going to learn, we're going to have to wrestle with it in the Jewish culture. Something's been lost in how we discuss Scripture, how we come to a point of understanding, of agreement or disagreement, and still being at peace and brothers. As a royal priesthood, Okay. I'm going to read it again from one, from two Peter. <sighs> but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, His very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness and into a wonderful light. Paul or Luke, Paul's life from the story of Luke, starts us over there. Paul meets Jesus on the road, and we have this incredible story of how Paul takes what everybody understood, tries to enlighten them with Jesus, and we see all of his trials and the pain and the successes what we get at the end of this story is an incredible, credible hope that through every situation, Paul is delivered. Paul is delivered from the superpower of the time, of the rulers, of the governors. He's delivered from the people that want to kill him. He's delivered from what we would see as a, a plane crash where everybody survives on it. We see the power of God touching people's lives and they're transformed. We see people following him and all of a sudden we start to see a peace at this section of the story for two years where Paul is able to talk and share and to bring the good news with people. So as we finish today, my question is, is are you still standing here waiting to go to heaven thinking that was what it's all about? Or are you, as Paul is, laying railway tracks and foundations and cornerstones into how we exist today so that other people will see, as it says here, God's goodness? So when there's darkness, which means something's wrong in a situation, when there is no justice, when there are no rights for humans, for different people, circumstances, you actually intercede at a cost, potentially. Something's been said about a church in town because of this and that. We don't carry on with the gossip. We shut it down. We look for goodness. We look for light. We look for hope. I remember Joe Pollen. And I'm thinking, she's going to die. She's going to die out here, Lord. She's sick. I've never seen somebody turn into a skeleton in a week. That fever hit her. People prayed and prayed and prayed. We smuggled her on the plane because we knew they don't, they don't like you coming out of jungle environments and, and spreading diseases. She healed. But all of a sudden you start to go because you know you're the, the, the happy missionary leader and it's like, everybody on the bus, everybody off the bus. Oh, wasn't that amazing? Did you like that curry? Okay, everybody off the bus, the toilet's over there. Everybody back on the bus. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're on one and you're thinking, we're going to lose somebody for the kingdom. Gosh, it makes it real. Gosh, it brings it to life. And I can't help but keep reading that and going, but in some situations, the hand of God moves in and he heals people.
We're going to finish there. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to pray for Pat and her arthritis that she's in denial over. That doctor don't know nothing. <laughs> we're going to pray for Albert. We're going to pray for Debbie again. We get to the end of Acts and our faith should be risen. Our understanding of this determination of God beating this drum, of Jesus taking back authority over sickness and death and our lives and our future, we should be looking forward to seeing God move in people's lives in power. And we get trapped, trapped in stuff that overtakes us. So today I want us to gather around people. There's oil here, we're going to pray for them. We've got people that are going through things in their lives, so I'm going to say, if you want to come over to the couches over here, we want to pray for you. I'm going to say what I always say. Do not leave the same way that you entered. I pray in the name of Jesus, Father, that eyes that cannot see things will see things. That hears, ears, Lord, that do not hear things that are in your word, Father, that are freedom. The cross and its salvation is a salvation for every single person. Black, white, straight, gay, whatever it is, male or female. There is an openness in the cross and the doorway into your kingdom that somehow we keep closing the door. We keep arguing amongst ourselves and bringing division in this kingdom. Having the world around us look at us going, what is this? This doesn't look like light in the darkness to me. Jesus, let us be restorers of your kingdom. Restorers in people's faith. Let us be restorers of people's morale in what it means to look to you for hope. Holy Spirit, I pray that you come in this place right now. I feel absolutely powerless to see somebody healed this morning, but it's not about me. It is about your kingdom coming here on earth as it is in heaven. It is about the name of Jesus being spoken out because we know that Jesus, the authority of death and sickness, has been taken back from you, from an enemy that has always tried to destroy us from the beginning of this story. Holy Spirit, I pray that you restore bodies and lives in this place this morning. I ask this in your mighty name. Don, if you can put something on at the back there for us. Sure. I only actually found out about it. I, I don't know exactly what's gone on apart from the crash. I believe there are 15 people that have perished now in what seems to be just a, something that shouldn't have happened, and we'll probably find out. But do you know what? Let's do that. The microphone is here. Let's have a few people come up now, and let's pray for those families. Let's use, we've got time. Holy cow, did I preach forever? Let's pray for these families. Let's, so, Dave, Kate, whoever that's going to be, let's lift those people up. I just can't even imagine the pain that's going on in that part of the world right now. Hundreds of family members will be affected. Hundreds. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you for doctors and nurses. I thank you, Lord, that we know that you're in the midst of all circumstances. But Lord, we find it hard this morning to even come with words that would describe feelings um, that is comes to families in uh, Saskatoon, in Humboldt, a small village, small community, Lord, who have lost uh, 14 or 15 young men who was in a hockey team. In a bus crash, we we don't know the terror and the, there's just no words for that. But we know, Father, that you are on, in all circumstances, whether we want you there or not. But Father, I do pray that you would bring peace. Father, that you would bring some sort of encouragement. Yeah. That you would uh, make yourself known to those who are grieving. Um, husbands and wives losing their sons. Father, surround these families, yes, grandmothers and grandfathers who have fallen, followed their sons endlessly through their hockey career until they're not now there. Father, come. Come and bring comfort. Be with them in their grieving, Father. For all those... Uh, who have been first responders to this tragedy. Father, I pray that the images um, that have gone are now in their minds, Father, that these images will be released and not kept so that the health of these people, these doctors and nurses and ambulance drivers and policemen and other first responders who have arrived there, Lord, will not be overcome and uh, with this. So we just pray, Father, that you would separate those images from all these people. Yes. But Father, I just thank you for your love that you pour out and the grace that you pour out on this fa these families. For those who are in the hospital, there's 14 apparently in the hospital, three critical. Um, Lord, I just pray for all their wounds to be healed. Father, the trauma would be broken off these people, Lord. This is something that'll be remembered for this, by this community. But Lord, we just also know that those who turn to you, Father, would also be able to put their trust in you. Yeah. And you would come to them. And uh, they would find you in amongst all of this mess. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some people will never recover from what's happened yesterday. People will spend their lives in pain. Pray. Pray that some light turns up in their lives at some stage. Don't give up on them. So, Don, if you can put that on, I'm going to have people gather around Pat, around Albert. Just ask them what's going on in their bodies. Is there anybody else that would like prayer this morning?
Bonnie, if we can have people gather around Bonnie. If anybody wants to come and talk to me and me for to pray, please come over towards the front here and me and the leaders would love to pray for you. It's an exciting book, but it has a cost and a price for us. Just to acknowledge our part on laying new tracks, bringing justice, being hope for people. Bless you. You are a royal priesthood. You don't have any crowns, but it's inside. It's that spirit that's in you that can change people's lives. Don't forget that. Bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.